Hey Velocity, welcome to today's podcast. We're so excited to hear how your life has changed by Velocity Church. And if your life has been impacted, feel free to send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now, sit back and enjoy the message. Maybe the greatest story of all time. And that's the story of a little shepherd boy who comes face to face with a nine foot tall giant named Goliath. Everybody knows the story, but why would we camp around this story today? Well, the reason why we're camping around the story today is because there's still giants in the land. Things like anxiety and fear and addiction and worry and greed and self and comfort. Giants have camped out in our lives. Everyone knows my story for the most part here, and most of our friends in Australia know it as well, but I remember the weeks, not the days, that I spent curled up in something like the fetal position at my house, unable to drive out the driveway, unable to go to a meeting at the church, unable to go to a dinner with friends, just completely crippled and shut down by some kind of anxiety slash depression slash dread, worry, fear, call it what you want. Here I am, not just a believer in Christ, I'm a leader in Christ. And I'm completely shut down by this giant that is in my life. That's why we're coming back to this time-tested story of the shepherd boy who comes out to fight the nine-foot giant because God wants you to know today that you can live free from whatever it is that's terrorizing or demoralizing or intimidating you in your life. It doesn't matter what it is, how tall it is, how long it's been there, or how many times it's knocked you down. God wants you to know you can live free. And just as a footnote, I'm not like the, you know, the, the test, uh, the litmus test for today, but I am standing here today by the grace of God. And that gives me the courage and the confidence that I need to say to anyone else in this place, you may think you're down, but you can get back up. You may feel like there's not going to be another day of light, but I promise you, God can free you from whatever's got its foot on your neck in this moment. So when we come to this story, we see something interesting. The scene is this. If you need a little bit of a reminder, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and God's people have come to the valley of Elah, and they're camped on a hillside under the rule of King Saul. King Saul was a mighty warrior and a major leader of the people of God. They'd come once again up against the Philistines, the dreaded Philistines. And I, I, I think there's a theme here because a lot of us keep bumping in to the same thing over and over again at different times and different seasons in our lives. And as you read through the story of God's people, it's the Philistines. They're the ones who stole the ark in the battle when Eli's sons ran back to say, man, things are bad. So they sent the ark of the covenant of God down into the fight, but the Philistines killed the Israelites, stole the ark, took it on a joy ride through the land of the Philistine cities and then to the temple of their god, Dagon. And here they show up again. So God's people on one side of Elah and the Philistines camped on another side on another mountaintop. And this is the way the scene opens up 
in 1 Samuel 17. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Succoth in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damin between Succoth and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, with the valley between them. But here's the problem. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs were bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him and Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why don't you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will be our subjects and serve us. And then look at the outcome of this situation that we find ourselves in in this moment. The next verse says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, the king, the leader, the one appointed by God, and all the Israelites, this was an all-in decision. All of them were dismayed and terrified. And if we fast forward to verse 24, again, when the Israelites saw the man, Goliath, they all ran from him in great fear. So Saul and all, when they heard him, they were dismayed and terrified. And Saul and all, when they saw him, they were afraid for their lives and they ran for cover. And I wonder today across two continents how many of us are in that exact same position. Something's reared its head again in a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or in our own life, in our business, our family. And it's risen up four feet tall, five feet tall, 10 feet tall, 30 feet tall. And we've seen it coming again and it's left in its wake a fear and a dread and a dismay in our hearts. It's caused everybody to turn tail from the promise of God and say, man, let's clear out and hope for the best scenario. This situation isn't a 3,000-year-old story. It's a three-minute-old story for most of us. And we don't have to look far to see the giants in our lives. There are a few big observations, and I want to lead us to our first step of turning this situation around. And the first observation is this. There are giants who are still in the land. Now, I know that's sort of like an obvious observation. Can I get an amen on that? Even though we're in church and in Christ, and in faith, most of us who are in the house today, there are still giants in the land. So this isn't 
Egypt where the people of God were in bondage. This isn't even the Jordan where they were ready under Joshua's leadership to cross over into the promised land. This isn't the walls of Jericho, their first fortified city. Jericho's way in the rearview mirror and they are way into the land of promise. But in the land of promise, a nine foot behemoth champion is still coming out to taunt the people of God, the leader of God, the king of God, and the king of kings himself. What does that mean for you and me? It means that we may be in Christ, but we are still in the battle. So anybody who sold you some version of faith that said, hey, all you got to do is put your faith in Christ and, you know, link up with the people of God and everything's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. That is not the way it worked for the people of God. They entered into the promised land. They crossed through a miraculous event on dry land through the Jordan River. They saw seven-story tall walls of Jericho come down. But guess what? The next city, another giant. The next city, another fight. The next day, another adversary. Every day was an opportunity to remember the faithfulness of God past and to trust that same faithful God to lead them forward into the future. And that's right where we're standing today. Just because we're in Christ doesn't mean we're not in the fight. The battle is real. You know, Goliath wasn't the only giant in his family. Some people say that David got the five stones out of the riverbed because Goliath had four brothers. We don't see them in this particular lineup, but we do see them in accompanying text in this same era. They had more than five fingers on each hand and more than five toes on each foot. They they were terrorizing in their own right. So once Goliath went down, that wasn't the end of the story. Brother number two shows up and says, wait a minute, I heard my brother's dead. Giant number three then appears. Giant four has to be dealt with. Giant five is still on the scene, and that's the way it is in our lives. You get a little season maybe where you're going, I think things are going pretty good. You turn around a corner, and anxiety is standing there 45 feet tall. And you're like, where did that come from? Everything's peaceful for a moment, but then the phone rings and something else is terrorizing you or your family. This is the way it was then. It's the way it is now. The second big observation in this text, an, an, an opening observation, is this, that even though we have, and I'm speaking to the believers among us, but opening this text to everyone in the room, wherever you are in your relationship with Christ, but those of us who are believers in Christ, even though we have the power of Christ, we can still live paralyzed by the giants. Isn't that an interesting paradox? We've sung the song today about a name that is above every name, a name that is without rival in the heavens and in the earth. A song, by the way, that came from our friends in Australia, thank you very much, migrated all the way and blew up in our worship here now. That there is a name at which the heavens roar and a name at which the demons tremble. And that name of Jesus is the name of the same Christ who lives in you and lives in me. What an amazing and sad picture that the armies of the living God 
for 40 days and 40 nights have listened to this giant come out from the camp and taunt their God and taunt them only to have them one more day. I don't know. I don't know. You're going to go. I'm not going to go. The dude's 10 feet tall almost. Look at his armor. Nobody can get through. He's got, you know, his coat of armor. It's like having two middle schoolers on. That's how much it weighed. 125 pounds was just this. The helmet, strong and his spear, it talks about with the point of it, the point of it weighed 15 pounds. Just the point of the spear, the javelin that was slung over his back. And people were like, I'm not going. I, I, I think I'll just stay here. And interestingly, David's father said, I want you to go and check on your brothers at the battle line. And I want you to report back to me how they're doing. What's the state of affairs? Well, I can tell you the state of affairs for them was like the state of affairs for a lot of us. Everything's good because they're camped out in their tents. Their fires are still burning. They're getting resupplied by food by other little brothers like David who are coming up to the battle lines and dropping off the bread and dropping off the cheese. Everybody seems fairly comfortable in the camp. And it's amazing to me, to me, how we can accommodate things and tolerate things that Christ has already defeated in our lives. And our version of the Christian life is about 40% less than what God died for and rose from the dead for. But we say, you know what? It's going pretty good. I'm here and we're at church and we believe in God. And somehow we forgot to look up at the person of God and realize, wait a minute, we're sitting around the fires while our God is being taunted. And that's got to stop today. That's got to stop today. And I just want to encourage you today that if you feel like I'm describing not only my life in a season, but describing your life, it doesn't have to be that way. I love the way this story hinges. If you look over, I have to flip the page in my Bible. But if you flip over to verse 32, I love how when David has arrived, he hears Goliath. He starts asking around, like, what, what, what's the story here? And people are like, yeah, 40 days, nobody wants to fight him. And David says, well, what do you get if you fight him? They say, man, it's a big deal. You get a big cash prize. You get to marry the king's daughter. You get a tax exemption for the rest of your life. I mean, you know, that, that would get a lot of people fired up. Like, okay, he's big, but he's not that big. You know, you're talking IRS, gone for the rest of my life. <clears throat> okay, I'll fight him. And David assesses the situation so we got grown men who really aren't assessing the situation. we got a boy who arrives, and he assesses the situation. And then he says to Saul in verse 32, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And the music changes. <laughs> and everybody stops breathing and talking, and around all the camps, everything comes to a halt and everybody's focused now on this kid who's arrived, this shepherd boy from Bethlehem who's arrived on the scene. And they're like, man, what are you talking about? And Saul immediately replies to him and says, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy and he's been a fighting man from 
his youth. He's got a record. This guy's undefeated. This guy is a champion. This guy, just his lore will cause you to stay in your tent in the day. And David says, hey, here's the thing, the message I want you to share up and down the hillside today. Let no one lose heart on account of this giant. And I believe that's what Jesus wants to speak into your life today. Let no one today lose heart on account of whatever giant it is that has taken up a position in your life. See, what was going on here was the people were demoralized, but God was defamed. And that's why this message is called Goliath must fall. Not just so that we can be free, but so that God can get the glory that he deserves in our lives. And how is he going to do that? He's going to do it when we realize he's sending us a message that says, you don't have to lose heart on account of this giant because your servant is going to go out and defeat him for you. These would be similar to the words Jesus would be speaking, leaving the throne of heaven and stepping onto planet earth and walking 33 years through this life to the cross so that he could do what you and I couldn't do. He was leaving heaven, looking at people saying, don't lose heart on account of the giants. Don't lose heart on the taunting voices. Don't, don't lose heart because it looks like they're big and you can't defeat them. Your servant Father is on his way to take down the giants that are in the land so that your people can live free and you can get the glory that you deserve. This is what happened when Jesus steps into the story. This is our third major observation, and this is the little bit of the twist in the story. You're not David in the story of David and Goliath. Okay. I felt like we all just came to a screeching halt right there. Like, no, no, keep preaching, Louis, because I'm getting fired up. I'm getting my rocks right now, and I'm getting my slingshot out of storage, and I'm going back out there one more time because when I was at camp when I was 14, I, I swore I was going to take this giant down. But you know what? Here I am today. I'm 46, and it's still standing there. Well, here's the ticket. God's not asking you to buck up, and he's not asking you to armor up. He's asking you to wake up, and he's asking you to look up and realize somebody's come into the valley who can take down your giant. We look for Jesus from the beginning of the scripture to the end. We know it's 66 books, but it's one story. We know that one story is all about one name, and what is that one name? It's the name of Jesus. So if that's true, then Jesus is in Genesis, Jesus is in Exodus, Jesus is in Joshua, and Jesus is in 1 Samuel, and Jesus is in 1 Samuel 17, and Jesus is in the Valley of Elah somewhere. And we know he's not Goliath, and we know he's not the Philistines, and we know he's not Saul, and we know he's not the Israelite warriors who are in their tents, then, then who is he? He must be the Shepherd boy from Bethlehem who's come to take down the Goliath that's shouting insults about our God and terrorizing God's people and sending them running for cover into dismay and fear. Can I just make a footnote here? 
Of course we have the Spirit of Christ in us. But Paul wrote it this way. He said, it is not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. So yes, I want you to see yourself as someone linked to the victory parade of Jesus. Yes, I want you to see yourself riding in the parade of what Christ has already accomplished. Yes, God wants you to see yourself riding in the grand marshal car with Christ in a parade of victory because that's where you're sitting right now. But he also wants you to see that it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So it's not us getting our stones and our slingshot and saying, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take that addiction down. I'm going to take that 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 fear down. I'm going to take that anger down once and for all. I'm going to take that greed down once and for all. I'm going to take rejection down once and for all. I'm going to take down anxiety or worry or dread or whatever it is that's standing over my life. God is saying, no, I'm going to take the giant down and then you're going to walk on what I've already done and you're going to walk in the victory that I have already won for you. This is the spoiler alert. So if you don't want to know how this story ends, cover your ears right now. In a few moments, Goliath bites the dust. Literally bites the dust. Ten feet tall, rock between the eyes. The scripture says dead on his feet. Wobbles for a moment. Shakes a little shake like what just happened? Brain tries one more time to reorganize a thought like grab another weapon, take another step, keep charging this little whoever this is out there with what looks like a couple of sticks, but the synapses aren't working. And the flat line has already happened. And after a little shake, undefeated until today, Goliath bites the dust. David keeps running. I mean, can you imagine the guys with the binoculars? Like, no, no, I'm not kidding you. I think he's down. Like, he, he, he's down. Is, is he, he's not moving. The kid, though, the kid's running. I don't know what the kid's doing. Kid crazy. Kid, kid he's down. He's down. Just leave him. It's a ploy. You know, you could be thinking, I I know this guy, I don't know what to do, but he hit me in the head with a rock, so I'm going to lay down like I'm dead, but as soon as he walks up here, I'm going to grab him by the neck and squeeze his eyeballs out. You know, you don't know how this is going to play out. David keeps running. He keeps running. He runs up to the giant. He looks him over. He realizes he's dead, and for good measure, he pulls his sword out because he doesn't have one, and he just whacks his head off. This is why you still read the Old Testament. He whacks... (laughs) this dude's head off and then he peels back the helmet grabs him by the hair and he just holds the head up and now the guys on the philistine side are like oh no he's holding up his head why why did he do all that so that you and i would know that we have a giant slayer who's come into the valley. And he's come into the valley in the power of God. The same way David did. Saul said, you can't do this. And he replied, 
to him in verse 34, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off his sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When I, when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. So David's got killing experience before he gets to the valley of Elah. He says, if you don't like that one, I got another one. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. So I, I, I've been up against some stuff before, and I've seen victory before. And so this Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God, the Lord. Here's the key phrase. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The same God who gave me supernatural ability to defeat a lion to defend a sheep is the same God who's going to give me supernatural ability to fight up against this giant. So that doesn't mean simply that today we say, well, God, give me supernatural ability to go take down addiction. There's something better in the story than that. And what's better in the story than that is, is that God sent Jesus anointed by the Spirit to come in the power of God to destroy the works of darkness. And they are destroyed right now. So none of us have to defeat a giant. They're already all defeated. Jesus stepped into the valley to destroy the power of sin and shame and death and hell and to shut up every giant that has ever tormented the people that God created in His own image for His own glory. Jesus is your giant slayer. And something shifts when you do accept that I'm in Christ and I've got power in Christ and I've got the spirit of Christ in me. But it is Christ who destroys the works of the darkness. It is Christ who has the power to break every chain. And Christ has finished his work, people. He has destroyed the enemy. Now, he's still talking the enemy. We, we've talked about this in the past. It's like cutting off the head of a snake. If you ever even find a dead snake that just died, we don't know how it died. It died. A big rattlesnake is in the past, and it died three months ago, and you come upon it, and you're like, yeah, it looks like mostly skeleton left here, and I can make out the head and the whole thing. If you open the mouth and step on the fangs three months after the snake has died, it still will inject poison into your foot, and you potentially could die. And your giant is dead, but a lot of your giants and our giants and my giants are still talking. <laughs> They're disarmed, but they still got a little venom in there that if you put your foot in the wrong place, it definitely will get in your system and poison the thinking and the truth that God wants to lead you in. And so we've got to make a shift in our lives today. So I'll just ask one question today, really, that will lead us in a helpful step. So how do... Our giants come down. If they're dead but still talking, if they're dead but still deadly, how then do they come down? I believe it begins with a shift of focus for you and a shift of focus for me. And I want to invite you to that today, whether you're sitting in Melbourne or here in Atlanta, Georgia. I want to invite you to a shift in your focus because if there's a giant looming in your valley right now, 
Though you're in Christ, you're still in the battle. Though you've got the power of Christ, you're paralyzed by something that's terrorizing you. If that's the case, your story probably goes something like this. My eyes are locked on the size of the problem and my mouth is filled with the praise of the problem. My eyes are locked on the size of the problem and therefore, since my eyes, the eye is the lamp of the body, are locked on the size of the problem or the giant, then my mouth is filled with the praise of the problem or the praise of the giant because what our eyes see directs what our mouth says. So they sent 12 spies into the land to see if it really was a promised land and two of them said, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And the other 10 rose up and said, yeah, it is amazing, but the people there, they, they're like giants and we look so tiny compared to them. They saw something and then they said something. And oftentimes when we've got a giant in our life, it's all we talk about. Sally's anxiety, Johnny's anger problem, dad's alcoholism. And that's the theme. And that becomes the narrative. And therefore, at the end of the day, you know what we end up doing? And I was there and and, am sometimes still there. What we end up doing is we end up worshiping the giant. They're like, no, we're not worshiping the giant. Yes, we are, because we're talking up the giant. We're talking about how tough it is and how big it is and how long it's been there and how undefeated it is. And yes, we went to the clinic, but that didn't work. Yes, we tried rehab, but it all fell apart. Yeah, there was a two steps forward, but then there were 46 steps backwards. And we, we keep talking up the size and the power and the strength of the of the giant, and when we do that, we're, we're praising the giant, and what David wants to help us do is retune what we're looking at to get God back in view so that we can see the size of our God, not the size of our giant, so that what comes out of our mouth is hope in God, not dismay because of the giant. I want you to notice this in this text. It's pretty amazing. In verse 45 and 47, David is ready to go. He's ready to move. And he says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Like, well, Louis, what's what's my weapon? I got to get five stones. Help me get five stones. You don't need five stones. You've got what you need already. And it is called the name of the Lord Almighty. Almighty, and that name is power, and that name brings power to life. Listen, if you're on board with us in any part of this Goliath must fall journey, you're going to hear me say this a bunch of times. We're not talking about a quick fix. We're not minimizing the crippling, debilitating, life-threatening power of giants. What we are saying is that we have a choice today. And the first step on a journey is to lift up our eyes higher than nine feet tall. In Psalm 8, same David, shepherd boy, said, when I consider the heavens, the moon and the stars that you have made, the work of your 
fingers. When I sit out here with the sheep and look up into the night sky of Bethlehem, I see stars too in Bethlehem's sky. And when I look up and see them, I say, who am I that you are mindful of me? David came into the valley of Allah with a galactic view of God. And when a nine foot tall giant walked out, he said, oh yeah, wow. Okay, that's big. But I've been looking at something way bigger than that. I've come to know a God way bigger than that. I've come to know a God who stuns me and amazes me and makes me stand in awe. I've lifted my gaze. I've both awakened and lifted my eyes to someone higher and bigger than me. He says, I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. That's because Jesus is the giant slayer. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I'll give your carcass. I love the details. I'll give your the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. In other words, we're shifting the worship today. You've gotten 40 days worth of worship from all of us on the hillside, but today everybody's going to worship the God of Israel because he is the one true God. How did that happen? It happened because David was able to lift his gaze and to see more. Shelley and I were in London a few weeks ago, just days before London became a news item for all of us, well, the tragedy that happened there. Somehow, miraculously, I talked Shelley into going on the London Eye. Uh, Shelley's claustrophobic, and that's not an option. And somehow, in the grace and goodness and miraculous kindness of God, we went. And if you've ever been, it's a pretty stunning ride. You get in on ground level. In the course of about a half an hour, you're the car on the very, very top. I posted a picture that day uh, that looked like this. And all of a sudden, what you can see at street level, but you're always looking up at, all of a sudden, in just a few minutes, you're looking down at everything in London town. And that's what worship is all about. Worship picks us up on ground level. And in a few minutes time, it takes us up to a place where our vantage point has changed. And what was so intimidating now seems proportional in light of the goodness and the greatness and the power of God. So I want to invite you today. I want to invite every one of us today to a journey in the Psalms, retuning our heart to the songs of worship. Because when we do, we're going to realize our giants are real, but our God is bigger. And in the name and for the name of Jesus, our Goliaths are going to fall. They're going to fall.